0: Please turn, if you would, to um, Romans chapter three, um, verse twenty seven to thirty one. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. (coughs) Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith, and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. (coughs) The hymn writer says, Forbid me, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. Mm Boasting is the external outworking or manifestation of the internal condition of pride, which is the root of all sins and miseries of the world. And examples of this we can see in Romans chapter 1, which I believe Brother Gary went over at the start of this. Um, In verse 21 we see, for although they knew God they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened claiming to be wise they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things <coughs> verse
1: 28 I
0: read and they did not see fit to acknowledge God. God gave them up to a base mind to do what ought not to be done. So we see everyone has access to truth. That is, knowledge of the true and living God. But rather than humbly submitting to the truth, we put ourselves over the truth and become arbiters of truth ourselves. <coughs> Notice, that people think they are wise you commonly hear said this is what I think the truth is this is what I feel the truth is this is what I've experienced so it's based on experience or reasoning or logic or some mystical experience but all the while people put themselves at the center as the final determiner of what is true Paul says we exchange the truth of God for a lie. People still worship, but the object of worship ends up being something more manageable, something we can still exercise control over. (coughs) From chapter 2, we see that morality can be a source of pride. Paul was addressing the Jews (coughs) But he could just as well have been addressing modern church-going people.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: if you call yourself a Jew, you can substitute a Christian, and rely on the law, or preaching, and boast in God and know His will, and approve what is excellent, because you are instructed from, as you could say, Sunday sermons, <laughs> and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? Verses 17 to 21. (coughs) So, the morally prideful person builds themselves up while putting down the evil of others rather than glorifying God and seeking others' reconciliation to Him. Mm -hmm. (coughs) In chapter 3, verse 18, we see there is no fear of God before their eyes. Mm. <coughs> so rather than trembling before God, reverencing Him, being in awe of Him, we hear questions like, you know, who is who is God? You, you think of Pharaoh in the Old Testament. A good example, when Moses confronted him, is who is Who is God that I should listen to Him? Mm -hmm. Or today you may hear, If God is so great, why does this happen? Mm -hmm. Um, If God is good, why does bad stuff happen? Uh, A good message by Vodi Bauckham, he reversed the question and he said, let me rephrase that. He says, How can I think what I thought do what I did, say what I said, and God not kill me instantly. Mm-hmm. Like if you flip the script and you ask the question that way, it puts a totally different perspective on things. <coughs> Psalm 115.3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. Instead of responding with hallelujah, amen, the response you hear is, yeah, well, what about free will? (laughs) Or something to that effect. Um, So, God is very angry about our pride. Um, But the point here in the text, I'm looking at verse 27 here. The Christian has no room for boasting there there is nothing to boast in 1 Corinthians 4 says let him who boasts boast in the Lord Mm -hmm. and uh, Jeremiah chapter 9 verse 23 and 24 thus says the Lord let not the wise man boast in his wisdom let not the mighty man boast in his might let not the rich man boast in his riches but let him who boasts boast in this that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth for in these things I delight declares the Lord (coughs) so Paul says in the strongest possible language in response to the question where is boasting the door has been slammed shut upon it Mm -hmm. forcefully shut out We see in the preceding chapters that all mankind, Jews and Gentiles, stand condemned. Jews who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law, and Gentiles who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. That's chapter 2, verse 12. God's law is not nullified, and we'll come back to that. God's law is holy and righteous and good. And that we find in chapter 7, verse 12. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. (coughs) But since the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, Jews and Gentiles, we have to ask, why was the law given? Why the law? So my, my wife and I had this discussion one night. Um, it, it tends to be a kind of a sticking point for many, many Christians. We, this issue comes up a lot. If mm-hmm. we're to be justified by faith, why was the law given at Sinai? Which seems to be, at least from our perspective, another means of attaining a right standing before God. Why was the law given? Um, see in verse 28 which and I'll come back to this too that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law <coughs> Paul smashes the very idea to the ground that there is another way of salvation other than by faith elsewhere in Galatians He expounds on this in chapter 3, verses 10-14. to For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. And then verse 13. This glorious verse. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. <coughs> to recall in Deuteronomy, and you had these two mountains. Which ones were they? Pat, Were they Mount Gilboa? Mount Gerizim? Good um, question.
2: Well, Galatians refers to them as, you know, <coughs> as, uh, as uh, Sinai and Zion. If that's what you're going and Galatians eventually gets to that whole discussion as well. Paul uses that sort of Allegorically speaking, about the two different mountains, it goes on to talk about the one being the, you know, the, the real Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, Zion, and people in Sinai still being under bondage. But I don't know if that's what you're referring to.
0: Well, in the Sinai wilderness, mm-hmm. um, it was Mount Ebal in Gerizim. Half of the people stood on one mountain, okay. half the people stood on the other mm-hmm. mountain, and there were blessings promised. Right. Now, the ones who <coughs> Mount Ebal, they shouted a curse mm-hmm. across the valley cursed be anyone who dishonors his father and mother and all the people say amen cursed be anyone who moves his neighbor's landmark cursed be anyone who misleads a blind man on the road anyone who perverts justice due to the sojourner who lies with his father's wife, who lies with any kind of animal so these curses that were pronounced over everyone who were to break God's law these curses Christ bore in his body mm-hmm. on the cross mm-hmm. <clears throat> he, he became sin for us um, so Paul does away with any notion that righteousness comes by works of the law but back to the question why was the law given um, the answer is found in chapter 4 and also in verses 5:20 and also in chapter 7 verses 7 and following in chapter 15 or rather uh, verse 15 of chapter 4 we see the law brings wrath where there is no law there is no transgression In 5.20 we read, Now the law came in to increase the trespass. And also in chapter 7, Paul says, If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. So the purpose of the law is to expose guilt and liability to God's wrath. It isn't that we became sinners after the law was given. Indeed, sin was in the world before the law was given. We see that in chapter 5, verse 13. Sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. (coughs) It was never, the law was never intended to be a means or a system of justification. This is why Paul says that death reigned from Adam to Moses, that is, because guilt existed, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. Really, our correct response to the law of God, as Barry said last time, should not be like the Israelites, that all that the Lord has spoken we will do. It ought to be, Lord, I can't do it. Be merciful to me, a sinner. So the glorious and hope filled crescendo of Paul's teaching in chapter 5, verses 21. I, I don't really know how I ended up in chapter 5, but. Um, <coughs> Um, that sin reigned unto death but grace reigns through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord sin came into the world through one man that's Adam and death through sin death spread to all men because all sinned. yet Adam was a type of the one to come it's Christ and I, I inserted here um Any talk about um, needing to unhinge the Old Testament from Christianity really needs to be qualified because it's in the Old Testament, particularly Genesis, that we we read about Adam. (coughs) If Adam is put forth as merely a symbol, we then have to ask, was the second Adam merely a symbol? Christ himself. Obviously, we would say, by no means, absolutely not. Let it may it never be. In Paul's language, Um, so contrary to man in his prideful, anti-God state of mind, Jesus upheld the glory of God throughout his earthly ministry. Mm -hmm. Um, God was always first on his list of priorities. He absorbed the wrath of God. Barry talked about this. He propitiated. Mm -hmm. He became our mercy seat. He paid a ransom, His own blood. And He upheld righteousness. So, this is another sticking point. This is what has been called the Great Dilemma. And this is found in Proverbs chapter 17 verse 15 he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike in abomination to the Lord so however much of Catholicism anyone here is familiar with I'm I'm really not I come from a Catholic family at least on my mom's side um I never, I never went to Mass. I never took the Eucharist. Um, anything I know about Roman Catholicism is from what I've heard through mostly, admittedly, Reformed people. So, but I was very much aware of a, a standard that I was expected to attain to that I knew in my state that I never could. My my reaction at at the time was not to seek after God, not to cry out for mercy. It was rebellion. Mm -hmm. Um, I I hated religion. Mm -hmm. Um, But this here is... This is the sticking point. This is... um, We're accused, apparently, by... Catholic theologians of embracing what they call a legal fiction <coughs> that this transaction this this double imputation is something that we've concocted that, uh, the, the Protestant reform has concocted that it's an invention it's a late comer onto the scene of, of the church and uh, it's to be disregarded and and um, from what I have read Rome does not object to justification by faith that's a fair assessment as though there were no need for the redemptive work of Christ what they object to is the concept of faith alone Um, so when you're baptized you enter into a state of grace you can fall out of that state of grace through committing what they call a mortal sin and make shipwreck of your soul in that state the paying of penance is required if you want to be returned to a state of grace and that's through what they call absolution there are works tailored to your particular sins that you've committed and um, it's, it's justification by faith plus works. It's faith in Christ plus works righteousness.
3: As, as you're trying to explain the, the process of coming out of Catholicism to faith, I have... To on the journey and I just wonder I mean you're you're laboring well to tell us your journey I wonder how many have come out of Catholicism a few. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's a strange weird thing to process your way out of that to the cross
2: and see grace without words but most Catholics and maybe this is true of most at most times probably not in reform because reform faith tends, tends to certainly be more intellectually robust but the average Catholic can't tell you the first thing about their catechism they wouldn't be able if you begin to talk about justification by faith alone they wouldn't know what you're talking about other than sort of this sort of pejorative you're foolish if you think that just by saying oh I believe I could be you know saved so you know what you <coughs> what you're offering up there is a far more it's a far richer understanding of Roman Catholicism than the average Roman Catholic will have
3: but but what you're saying resonated to me to yep. the extent that if you grow up in a Catholic home, there's this aura of cloud mm. that you don't know the specific doctrine, but you know you can't do this and you can't do that. Yeah. Whether mm. it's a venial sin or a mortal sin or whatever, you're kind of tippy toeing through the minefield mm. of life. Mm.
0: Right, and and because of that, I. I I certainly want to be fair to, to our Catholic friends. Um, I don't want to mischaracterize them. Um, there's people I know that are you know, Catholics, atheists for that matter, that mm-hmm. I, I perceive as being more morally upright than I am, in mm-hmm. a, at least in a practical sense. You know? But that's not what we're talking about here. We're not mm-hmm. talking about works of righteousness. We're talking about a transaction that took place on the cross that double imputation of our sins onto Christ and Christ's righteousness unto us, um, which, according to Catholic theology, that, that is considered a, a legal fiction. <coughs> but, going back to Luther, you know, another word about boasting is that uh, lest anyone should boast in anything at all, saying I helped or I contributed this or that to my salvation all of this um, it's an interesting point all this was accomplished before any of us were ever even on the scene or Mm -hmm. thought of Um, so I have explored recently the free will argument uh, libertarian free will I've looked at the other side I respect it. Um, I, I want to be fair to that position too. Um, but at the end of the day, I come back to the doctrines of grace because I, I know personally, experientially, that there is nothing that I could have ever done to save myself and right now to keep myself in a state of grace. Mm-hmm. If I have to continually make decisions to turn to God, I. The same dilemma that the Roman, the Roman, the Catholic faced in the time of the Reformers. If I have to beat myself a hundred times, how do I know I don't have to beat myself a hundred and one times, a hundred and two? You don't, Tony.
4: I know for me, one of the things that um, I eventually got, got a hold of it and thought um, about it quite a bit was that um, good works does have a place and it doesn't have a place in the Bible and in the theology and it doesn't have a place into what God is expecting from people mm. uh, but the whole thing is is that I think a lot of people are confused as to the reason why you do good works and a lot of people think that you do good works to get to heaven or to please God um, in a personal you know what I mean but the reason that you should be doing good works I've discovered is to do it for the glory of God, and you're not really in the picture.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: You're doing it for Him, and you, and you even sacrifice possibly your well-being in order to do God's work.
0: Yes, and, and a
4: it, lot of people don't get that.
0: It, it it it's so easy to put the cart before the horse, and you know we'll get to that too, God willing. Um, we are not we're not embracing antinomianism. Um, that, Paul anticipated that objection. And that's, that's why this, this whole conclusion of the chapter here, this is, this is the logical conclusion of justification. The righteousness of God manifested apart from the law. This, this is the logical outcome. What becomes of our boasting? It's excluded by what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Um, it is. We are not hyper grace people. So, and this this has more to do with the final verse, verse thirty one do we then overthrow the law by this faith by no means or may it never be absolutely not on the contrary we uphold the law and that's been a point of contention also Uh, to what extent does the law of God contain in the Old Testament Uh, the uh, distinctions between the sacrificial ceremonial law the moral law um some theologians say that that distinction is never made by any of the biblical writers. That we put that there. Um, but in any case, how much of a bearing does that have on our lives as Christians? And uh, there's a debate about theonomy. I don't know if anyone's familiar with that. Um, do you know anything about that, Pat?
2: I can understand Theonomy automated is the church's the increasing influence of the church to sort of influence and basically alter all the institutions on earth and things are going to increasingly in a sense get better
0: and I, and I would assume it would be more of a prevalent view among those who hold to a, a post millennial so. eschatology um, so it's clear that we're not antinomian and Antinomians were not anti law. Mm-hmm. The law of God is still binding on our lives. Mm-hmm. We're accountable to Him to obey the commandments. But what does that look like? Mm-hmm. Does that, I would say this, if it brings us back to a place of fear, Apostle John says, fear hath torment if we're trembling at the law of God because we're thinking that we're going to fall out of a state of justification if we fail to uphold the law. And mind you, the law is very broad. It encompasses a lot of things. James says that if you fail in one point, you have broken the whole thing. So if you go back to that, way of thinking you're basically like R.C. said you're putting your feet pointing your feet in the direction of Rome and you're going back to that system Um, the reformers this was this was the major the major point of of contention here and it continues today um I lost my place uh So I guess a question drawn out of verse 27 is, are we consciously boasting in God's saving work in our lives, His grace in sending His own Son to the cross for us, or are we boasting in our own talents, our own gifts, graces? Because the next four chapters, Paul talks extensively about faith, the place of faith and why beginning in chapter 4 why Abraham her forefather according to the flesh while talking about his national heritage that Abraham was not justified by works but by faith this was while Levi was still in Abraham's loins <coughs> to read the book of Hebrews and the sacrificial system hadn't been instituted yet uh, the law had not been given at Sinai yet um, so the importance of this teaching this justification by faith in verse 28 Now, how we identify as evangelical Protestants it can't be overstated where is boasting? so it is excluded it is shut out so another question would be how can boasting be excluded if the law is seen as a list of things to do or not do to get right with God (coughs) I have a couple of quotes here from from, some very smart people I wanted to read um, I can find them oh, never, never mind I forgot them at home <laughs> 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 they were really good too and one of them was by our hero uh, C.S. Lewis mm. um, do not mistake for your own God's good gifts to you through nature
1: mm.
0: Mm. um he's talking about how if you grow up in a, in a factory a type of scenario where all you know, your psychological faculties are working fine and good upbringing whatever that's that's great that is a gift from God um but don't boast in that. Um, basically, he says if, if you're content with being a nice person, a moral person, um, living a good life, giving sacrificially, you know, giving a charity, um, you're still a rebel. Mm-hmm. You're still outside of being justified. By faith in Christ, you—you you are still. This—this this is the way of salvation. There is no other. Um, this is—this is the way God has appointed. You know, Luther said, "We're not the right man on our side. The man of God's own choosing. Christ is the chosen one. He is the one who has been appointed to save His people." Mm-hmm. Um, because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. <coughs> so The importance of this doctrine of justification by faith alone was a major point of contention early on when Luther gave his famous speech and I can't remember where it was. It was before the Roman Catholic leaders' Um Here I stand. I can do no other. They, they were telling him to recant. Um, he said, My conscience is captive to the word of God. Um, basically, away with the traditions of men. Um, they put out a sentence he had the death sentence on his head and he was at some point kidnapped by his friends and taken to Wartburg Castle where he translated the Bible into German for the common people and when he translated it verse 28 here he, he did insert alone we hold that one is justified by faith alone apart from works of the law so that is one of the main points at which the Roman Catholic Church comes at Protestantism and says see this was added later this this isn't what the church fathers taught when actually Luther was not the first one to add that word um Anselm, or rather Ambrose, did so. Augustine did so. It was in uh, various Catholic Bibles, the Nuremberg Bible, uh, the Ital- Italian Bibles of Geneva. Um, so it was not unique to Luther. He added it for clarification <coughs> for the common people to understand that salvation or justification is by faith alone apart from works of the law, which was the, the very foundation of all Protestant theology. <coughs> so, on a personal note, it, it's my view that any other view of justification, any other view of justification, any, by any other means, ultimately leads to self-righteousness. And is antithetical to the gospel of grace taught by Paul and later by the reformers. The point of debate is among people in, in the church, did is that what Paul really taught? And we believe yes, that is that is what he taught. And we stake everything on that
5: you can ask the question from the other angle of that verse when it says justification by faith and he added alone and they had trouble with that right but the problem is if there's more to justification wouldn't the scripture writers have put that in you know what I'm saying why did they leave why did they end it there mm-hmm. justification by faith period they didn't say and being a good person or it'll bang along so why would they silent that's what like he said to make it clearer otherwise they would have said that's a very important thing if you're justified by faith plus something else that's where it should have been put in
0: very very much in the same way our our modern English Bibles help us to understand um, understand what the biblical writers are communicating um, and sometimes certain certain liberties are taken um, but it's never the accusation usually comes and, and that's why I believe that Satan absolutely hates this doctrine. Um, this is attacked from all angles, and this is this is one of the accusations: is that the reformers had malicious intent. They were intentionally trying to mislead people and steer people towards antinomianism, anti-law, um, hyper grace. You know, you're saved by grace through faith, so you can live it up, you can sin in whatever ways you want, and, and still go to heaven. Um, But Paul Paul answers this in verse 31. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. And it's an excellent study of what it it means to, to live by faith but at the same time to as... John the Baptist said, you know, to bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. Um, Paul denies the accusation that this leads to antinomianism. Justification cannot come through law keeping, but the righteousness of God apart from the law has been manifested as faith in Christ. Critics are saying that Paul was nullifying the law and he anticipates that on the contrary this teaching of justification by faith in Christ establishes, upholds the law what the moral law requires is fulfilled by a justified person, made right with God by the power of the Holy Spirit apart from works of the law and I heard a really helpful illustration by John Piper He used a roller coaster as an illustration. I thought of of climbing a mountain, um, but maybe his illustration is more helpful. That the rails, uh, you you see the cart at the top of this, the apex of this, this roller coaster track, and you see the rails and beams that are leading up to it, and you proceed to start climbing up the rails and the beams you know, like, like a ladder in order to get to that cart um, that is a picture of the person who is trying to work their way to God through works of the law in reality you're never meant to climb those tracks you are meant to be carried up there and placed in the cart and then momentum grace is like riding the roller coaster You're, you're resting in God's power grace is power it's not just leniency the planks and the rails are not ladder rungs they're not for us to climb in this way as Paul says that the law was weakened by the flesh this is, this is how the law is weakened by the flesh. It increases the trespass. Um, we see the law is holy and righteous and good. And as he said, it proves in him all manner of covetousness. It revealed covetousness. Um, so... The works of the flesh will start you to climbing the rails and eventually you will fall off and die. (laughs) Um, This actually brought me to um, a well-known verse from Isaiah chapter 40 at the end of the chapter. Even youth shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength they shall mount up with wings like eagles they shall run and not be weary they shall walk and not faint so my the picture I had in my mind was of a mountain so by our own strength our own willpower we're climbing this mountain by works of the law we're trying to make ourselves right with God (coughs) And no flesh will be justified in that manner. But God in His grace He swoops down and He picks us up and we soar high on His wings and in Him in His perfect righteousness we fulfill the law by faith in Christ. And it is in the power of the Holy Spirit. It is all of grace. Um, yes.
2: It's really interesting because in this verse He shows that faith is the only way to uphold the law that actually if you try to gain righteousness by the law you are undermining the point of it because you could never achieve righteousness through it and when you when you go to the law and try to get salvation from it even though you are breaking that same law you are a contradiction to the law and you undermine the reality of it mm whereas faith is the only way um, that you can ever fulfill the requirements of it. So faith is the only way that the law is upheld, as opposed to faith overthrowing the law.
0: Yeah, yeah the, the works of the flesh interestingly end up being tied to transgression of the law. Um, the works of the flesh, Piper, ties us to our own willpower based striving after righteousness. Those are actually works of the flesh. It's it's Isaiah says filthy rags in God's sight. Self righteousness. It's motivated again by pride. For the Christian, for the for the justified person, there is no boasting. There is no cause for boasting. It is because it, it is all of grace. Read that verse in First Corinthians, chapter four. Titus,
6: you know you're just <coughs> excuse me, you're just bringing up like so many thoughts like in my mind because just going off like what you're saying is filthy rags. The first thing that I thought of was it just goes to show how fundamentally important it is to see how it's by faith and by Jesus yeah, yeah. because even theoretically, if it was possible, and I say this as reverently as possible, if we live a perfect life in our thoughts, in our minds, in our actions, it would be in vain. And it would be as filthy rags. And you would be basically living your entire life seeing Jesus as a liar because it wasn't finished on the cross, was it? So even so, I think it's important to understand that even if we lived that perfect life, even if we did, it it didn't matter because we literally, we, we we totally ignored the spirit. We totally ignored the, the saving grace of Jesus, the saving work. and. That so the whole thing is like you have to understand it because even if you yeah. were to attain what we were all what Roman Catholicism was trying to attain, it didn't matter. Even if you did it, even if you actually truly did it. So I just think that's kind of amazing. So.
0: Yeah, Amen. Man, I hypothetically, even if we could, and it's it's it, we know intuitively. I think it's impossible. Again, it is. You're always in the. Kind of shadow land of doubt of how good how good is good enough? How do th- th- This is this is a sticking point for Roman Catholicism. They denounce as anathema the idea of complete assurance of salvation. Um, that it's seen as, as presumption. Um, that's that's something. People were wearing uh, hair shirts and you know. Doing all these acts of self chastisement, and you know, to to put themselves in, in a state of being acceptable to God, and, and there was just never certainty. Um, on the contrary, what Paul's teaching here gives us an absolutely sure and solid foundation for assurance of salvation and everything that goes with that. Joy, hope, you know, peace. Um, not just the idea I'm going to heaven, but no, because I have, I have a basis for a relationship with God who created the heavens and the earth. And the holy God who hates sin, and I'm a sinner, but He, he did what I couldn't do. He, 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 he sent His perfect Son to be the substitute For me, um, this is. uh, Am I going here in First Corinthians? Uh, Consider your calling, brothers. I think this is only. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many of of noble birth. so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the lord, and there's just there 's just so much there i this like this is our testimony, you know um, <coughs> the psalmist, "My soul makes its boast in the Lord, let the humble hear and be glad." Mm-hmm the 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 proper response to this is you know, as earlier, hallelujah, praise God, amen, thank you, Lord. It's not well, what do I have to do in addition to this? you know because is that all there is? Is it just faith in Christ? you know what what do I do? Where do I go from here? Um, as Tony brought out, when you are saved there are certain fruits um, that are manifest evidence that you have been saved, but we can never get the cart before the horse. Um, I know I'm kind of belaboring the same point here, but I think, I, th- I think it's that important because it is so easy to get this backwards. I, God knows I have in my life over and over again. Uh, it is the, the seduction of legalism to drift back into a... a a form of works righteousness and to you know in some sense fall from grace in that way um, you are saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God out of works lest any man should boast and salvation is, is of the Lord I will just one last comment on the issue of legalism and that's a quote from Matthew Henry believers are not left to be lawless faith is a law it is a working grace wherever it is in truth the law is still of use to convince us of what is past and to direct us for the future though we cannot be saved by it as a covenant yet we own and submit to it as a rule in the hand of the mediator uh, <coughs> Christ gives us marching orders he's uh, you know he's not nandy pandy you know wishy washy you know do, do what you like live however you want because you're saved by grace he's, uh, he's our friend he's our savior he's also our lord he's uh as Robert Morey said, uh, he's he's not a hairdresser from San Francisco. He's he's a marine. He's a, he is a, he is the conquering king. He's going to return to judge the earth in righteousness. We want to be found as his obedient servants, um, faithfully working unto him when he does return. So. That's all I have for now. Are there any questions or comments? I
5: was going to say, talking about the law of worrying about being anti-Nominism, if anything, Jesus' laws, his demands about the law of love and law of Christ, are ten times thousands of what the law demanded because the law only demanded external requirement but Jesus said. Whoever thinks about a woman adulterously see the what, what Jews thought they were flying, was they didn't commit adultery, but he said, If you could, if you think in your heart you've committed, well he wanted to show us how far away we were and then and he says someone asked you to go a mile, go two. Someone struck you on one to do the other. That's not to be funny. That was to say how his demands would be so much higher than this law that ever required. So the problem was, Well, we can't do that either you're asking us not to call our brother a fool and you say we're in danger of judgment we cannot keep these things not, not commit adultery in your heart we can do this so what Jesus is saying is that I'm telling you then that you must trust me and allow me to live life in you and be who, you, who I am to you, your savior and, and to put away arrogance because that's his favorite saying right The humble, whoever exalts himself shall be humble. Whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Just know your place. Because he he came to be the most humble. Whereas men want to be the highest. The total opposite.
0: Son of man.
3: Just kind of following up on that the, the, the gratitude that comes from recognizing that it's all paid for. Well, at least for me, and coming out of a Catholic background, and trying to process it all and reprocess, it. and it just comes back to thankfulness that Christ did all this, and and so the focus gets back to Christ. It, it, the cat catches its tail all the time. It comes back to Christ, and and the focus is on Christ, and everything recalibrates to Christ, and it says, "I don't need guardrails on the road. I'm more focused on the center of my lane. I just." I don't need those laws to keep me in. I follow Christ.
0: Yeah, You must never deviate from the simplicity of the gospel.
1: I'm finding uh, some Roman Catholics are getting Bible studies. That um, you know they may be getting saved that way. Yeah. Getting into the Bible, which is good. But uh, <laughs> also, secondly, um, there's a group, there's a movement to get Protestants and Catholics together. And some churches are thinking of merging, like, the Pisco, maybe they already done it, the Episcopal Church with Roman Catholicism. The Lutherans are fooling around with it, too. So, um, it's like t- undo, trying to undo the Reformation. I did,
0: I, I, did, I did read some material on that, and from the outside, it seems like a really good thing. But... Um, Ultimately, it sees, it sees the Reformation as just a petty squabble, yeah. and as we've seen from this, this is a the importance of this can't be overstated. One this,
1: this petty squabble, of people were burned at the stake to try to uh, you know get the Bible translated into people's hands and to say you know it's all by faith. They had some awful death.
0: And yeah, and their very intent was not just educational uh, liberty. and uh, No, it was to get the gospel into people's hearts. That's why they wanted the Bible translated into common language, so that people could be freed from the chains that, that they've been held by, of this, this works-based system of, of being justified, which is ineffective. Um, all right. Um, Rob, did you want to pray?
3: Thank you, Lord, that uh, you pronounce clearly, it is finished. everything's paid for. it's all been done by you for us. We thank you for that. thank you that uh, it's a gospel message of great good news that we can bring to others. We pray that the message would go out today. We pray that you'd bless uh, Pat as he brings the word and the whole worship service that it'd be glorifying to you. Thank you for all the work that Harrison did. I pray that you would bless him in his life, that he'd be able to convey this information over and over. and uh, Feed many as he's fed us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you,
1: Harrison.